You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Well, hello and welcome to Trek FM's local watering hole, the 602 Club. I'm so excited to be here. Of course, you know who I am. My name is Matthew Rushing. Uh, and here now, pretty much every time with me, as I can I could pretty much say always now, is the, the one and only Christy Morris. And I got to say, Christy, you look so much better than you did last week. Oh, thanks. Well, <laughs> How bad was it last week? <laughs> <laughs> Michael's just not the same. Oh, Okay. You know, yeah, I, I, uh, I tried to be him, but or he tried to be me. I mean, and it, it didn't work out as well. But no. yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be back. Uh, and uh, I, I'll talk about Spider Verse anytime offline if anybody wants to. I thought it was awesome as well. So glad yeah. that you guys got to go over that. It was, it was really fun. And it, what's funny too, and I'll just kind of tell people the story. But the reason that Michael was on instead of you is because. Michael and Aaron and I had talked about having them on before you and I had the conversation about you coming on as the co-host. And mm-hmm. so that's how that happened. And you luckily and, and thankfully and very graciously gave up your seat so that your husband could come on. And, and I know he appreciated it. And he's also a lifetime Spider-Man expert. So you were in good hands. That is true. That is true. I mean, it was like, I mean, it was like Allstate, you know, it was fantastic. So yeah, uh, <laughs> really excited though, because well, we've been on the same network for years now. And I would say that our time streams have never crossed. Uh, I feel is almost as like we're from alternate universe. I'm from maybe Earth you know, Prime, and he's from Earth One, but finally we've crossed over. It's happened. Zach Moore is here. How's it going, guys? I've earned my stripes. I'm in the 602 Club. It's uh, it's nice in here. Thanks for thanks for the invite. Well, I, I mean, I and you got the free coupon, right? So you get a free drink for whatever it is that you want from behind the bar. Oh, great! I, I did. I wasn't sure uh, <laughs> what this applied to. I was going to try to get a cookie or a dessert of some kind, but I'll take I'll take a white Russian if you guys got it back there. Yeah, so. we can make that happen. All right. <laughs> well, um, tonight we're going to, you know, wrap up the, I don't even know what the trilogy is called, but uh, the M. Night Shyamalan superhero trilogy. Um, yeah, we're going to wrap that up with glass tonight. And so hopefully lots of glass puns you'll hear. So, yeah. Anyway. We're going to shatter your expectations tonight. We, yes, exactly. Oh. We are. <laughs> yeah. We are just going to. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we could we could go on for hours with glass puns. <laughs> and it's the East Rail 177 trilogy. Oh, is that <laughs> what it is? Wow. Oh, I like That's that. That's a deep cut. Well done. Fun well fact. Done. Yeah, nice job. Christy, <laughs> I mean, how long? I mean, were you thinking about that all week? Yes. Okay, because that was really good. I really like that. I was That's waiting. actually the probably the, the most apt name for this trilogy. They should put that on like the the you know the triple box set that they'll bring out. So. I didn't come up with that, by the way. That was from Shyamalan. Oh, okay. Really? Oh, well, there you go. Well, I mean, you, I, I was, can't take I was, the credit. I'm sitting for here that. thinking you're brilliant, and you, you should have just well, let us have thank it. You. you know. <laughs> 
Well, I'm excited to do this. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts here on the 602 Club. Gosh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling it these days. You know, hit us up with a written review and a star rating. Um, help people find the show that way. Also, you can find us anywhere else. You know, Google Play, Stitcher. I mean, we're on Spotify. We're pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts. Any podcatcher out there, just type in the 602 Club. Make sure you subscribe. You can find us on Twitter, Trek FM, Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. We've got the listeners only discussion group on Facebook. Just type Babel into the search field. Or if you're on the website at trek.fm, you can hit discussion on any of the menu bars and that will let you into that group as well. And then you can talk to fans from all over the world, listeners from all over the world, talking about everything we're talking about here on Trek FM. And then last but not least, if you'd like to send Christy and I an email, go to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show choose the 602 club and then that email comes to christy and i and we can converse with you that way as we break a little glass here um i wanted to kind of see where everybody was coming into this one and and specifically zach you know christy and i talked about split just a couple weeks ago so our thoughts on that and unbreakable are out there i was really interested to see where you were coming from like was this a, a series that you've been following you really liked you were really excited about what did you think? Well, I've been a fan of Unbreakable since it came out. I remember seeing that in theaters for the first time, and it was a real... I mean, remember, this came out in 2000, so it was before superheroes were back in the big screen. This is pre-Spider-Man, pre-X-Men, you know, so it was a fresh new take on superheroes, like, in, in the real world. And, and again, this is at the height of Shyamalan, so he kind of taken everybody by surprise. He was the hot young director. So, I, and I loved Unbreakable. I thought it was a really cool twist. On, like, I, I understood what they were trying to do. You know, a twist, uh, and uh, I use that word way too much talking about Shyamalan, <laughs> but uh, a take on the superhero genre as if they were in the real world. And, you know, it came and went, and there was always talk of, like, he had always said, oh, I'm talking, I'm thinking about doing a two and three, right? And you thought to yourself, that would be cool. But then he kind of made some more movies that weren't as good <laughs> over the years, and, uh, uh, and then that kind of faded away. And then Split kind of came out of nowhere. And, of course, you know, I was very happy I was not spoiled for split, so when I saw it, I'd heard there was going to be like a, some kind of reveal at the end. I was like, "Oh, it must be that the beast is real or something." I don't know. So that kind of came and went. I wasn't thinking about it. And then you had that little tag at the end where it's like they called him Mister Glass. It's like, "Oh my God, it's Bruce Willis for Unbreakable." Um, so I was very excited. But I, I thought Split, like you could have Split, was great because it, it would have been a great standalone movie if you didn't even have that tag at the end mm -hmm. of it. It had just been Split, and there was no post credit scene with you know David Dunn. It would have been a great movie, but that just kind of escalated the excitement afterward. Like Shyamalan is back, Unbreakable is back, Bruce Willis is back in this role. Samuel Jackson wasn't far behind, uh, so I, I really uh, loved both those films, and I was very, very excited for Glass because I mean that this is how you do uh, an unexpected cinematic universe. Like that's so cool because in this day and age where we know, you know, in the twenty four seven entertainment news cycle, you know everything that's coming all the time. You, you know, you know all the Marvel movies that are coming, DC, et cetera. And then to have them sneak this one in under you, that just ratchets up the excitement. So uh, I was very excited for Glass. Yeah, I think I like what the way what you're saying there because you know, I'm even thinking of the fact that we kind of know movies that are already in the works that are coming out. You know, after Endgame, and so we have yeah. some thought process of. You know, like, who's coming back? Like, we all know. I mean, you know, Spider-Man's not going to stay I dead. I hope Spider-Man's yeah. okay. Yeah. Black Panther's <laughs> not going to stay dead. You know, so, like, it's it, there is this sense of, of kind of 
over planning it to the point where we all know it as the as the general public too or a lot of people in the general public not the entire you know general public because there are people who don't pay attention to this stuff like we do mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there there is that sense where you kind of know it's coming, and it is kind of nice to to have a series that feels um, slightly more organic to just the thought process of oh, okay, this could work, this could fit in, this could become something more, rather than you know, <laughs> I feel like you know the monster universe uh, that they're gonna do. Oh, the oh the dark universe. Yeah, oh, with the mummy, and they're like <laughs> they're talking about how great it's gonna be, and they're they're planning things out for the next ten years or whatever. They're taking group photos already. Yeah, it's like, slow then, down, guys. <laughs> yeah, and then the movie sucks, and you don't want it. So yeah, this is definitely, I think a, I think this is a better way to to go about it. And so I was at least you know regardless of whether I loved Split coming into this i was still very much intrigued because of the fact that okay now we're gonna really put all this together how is that gonna play out yeah that's how i felt as well that's what i was looking forward most to about glass was how they were going to possibly put together the completely different stories of unbreakable and split because i mean it like you said zach split could stand on its own and doesn't depend on any other story to weave in with it. And that's why, you know, like we said on the last episode, Matt, I'm glad that Shyamalan saw that he couldn't fit Kevin into Unbreakable because it was too unbalanced. Because Kevin is such a strong character and you need a lot of time to develop with him, it would have overshadowed everything else in Unbreakable and been more about Kevin anyway. So I I think that Although it was unintentional and ended up being great for Shyamalan to have it in three separate movies. And I, I think that it was definitely the, the biggest thing I was looking forward to, to see. Obviously, we knew David was going to have some kind of connection to Kevin, but we didn't know how the things were going to be combined or resolved. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's just kind of talking about this idea of like bringing it all together. I I feel like this movie kind of revolves around the trio of those characters of, you know, Kevin Wendell Crumb and David Dunn and Elijah Pierce. Like they're the nucleus of this movie. And I kind of wanted to just, I feel like it would probably be a good idea to break them all down and what we thought of their parts in the film. And, so with Kevin or the Horde, however you want to refer to him, either one, how do you feel like this movie dealt with him as a character and, of course, kind of integrating him in with the other two? So I, I think, honestly, it, it, he was the standout character of this movie. I think that even though Elijah ended up ha- being the mastermind behind the twists, that it, first of all, James McAvoy being able to play all of these completely separate personalities is a feat in its own because I would not be that good at that many different um, like but personas in the way that they dress, move, speak, everything, etc. Yeah. Hedwig was my favorite. I don't know about you guys. Oh, um, yeah, he's my favorite too. Yeah. Not Patricia. <laughs> yeah, Patricia. Step away from the controls, dear. No, I, um, I love I, I agree with you. I love McAvoy. Like like he alone is worth the price of admission in both these movies. You know, because yeah. it could be 
you know, could be there. The risk is it's like okay, that was the gimmick of the last movie. It's like, is it gonna get old in this one? But no, it's just as delightful to see all these characters again. We we see some new characters, you know, little bits and pieces of them. We see, you know, right. obviously the big ones like uh, Patricia and Hedwig and um, uh, Dennis, and and, and 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 you know, in this one we actually get to see more of Kevin, right? Because we just saw him for like a couple minutes in the last film. Uh, and, and it was nice to see him kind of break through and that thing and, 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 you know, not to jump ahead, but like to see him, you know, embrace the light and, and take over his own personality at the end. I mean, that's his own conversation wherever you want to see the beast go and all that kind of stuff. Because when you, when you end the, when you end split with the beast, you're like, where do you go from there? And I felt like this movie did a, did a good job of, of not like taking that back away, but, but, but still spreading around the personalities enough in, in this movie. Yeah. I thought. Uh, two, the the smart thing was is them allowing us to see some of the other personalities we didn't really see in Split. So you know, getting to see the Irish mm-hmm. girl twins, um, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't feel like we really saw Norma or Luke before. Uh, Mister Pritchard, who's the professor of Japanese cinema, you know, I thought that was <laughs> that was great, really interesting. You know, so I, I thought that I mean, and that was the kind of the thing when you gave him twenty three different personalities, we only saw so many so many in the first movie so you allowed him to be able to explore some of the others and it made sense too because they keep flashing him i felt like what is this you know men in black you know where they keep doing the flashy thingy (laughs) the memory Uh, wipe and but i i you you said something christy that i think was was really smart in the sense that you know when we had talked about split they could not have put this character in unbreakable because he would have overtaken the movie and I, I would say as much as I love James McAvoy's character and the way that he plays the character with all the different personalities, I do think that he overshadows everybody else in the movie. And so it, it takes away from the, the rest of the trio personally. As I was watching the film, I didn't think, I didn't feel like I was as completely connected with especially David as I should have been because... McAvoy gets so much more screen time and he's just it, it, it's that what he's doing is so much more magnetic mm-hmm. well I think I, it makes sense though that they took that approach because it's like you're making a sequel to both these movies split came out two years ago it's fresh in everybody's mind and McAvoy was like the, the breakout performance and character to me it makes sense that this is more of a sequel to split than to unbreakable uh, but you're right though. I mean, of the three characters, uh, you know, once, once Mr. Glass kind of comes out of his, uh, his coma, if he ever really was in one, uh, he really does, you know, ha- make his presence known, but, but David does get kind of lost in the shuffle and you want to, and, and you, you want to know more about his, his situation. And it's kind of like a mini prologue almost before the story starts and he gets locked up and then he really has not much to do until the end. And then it's over and you're like, Oh, Okay, well, I'm glad he had those 20 years of adventures between the movies, but I, I, I do wish we would have seen more of David. I totally get what you're saying. I absolutely agree. It feels like a little bit with David, it's like he gets locked up and now he's just in a glass cage of emotion. Like, I never get to see him. <laughs> like, I don't really get to feel... I, I think you rightly pointed out, Zach, that there is that history of, like, 20 years where he's been being a superhero, basically. And we don't really get we get a little bit of a sense of what he and his son have been doing, but it just, it's, there's just not as much there. And I think this part of that is one of the things that I kind of have 
an issue with with the movie, which is I don't feel like it structurally is able to find a way to bring all of these things together that makes it feel as cohesive as it needs to be. And part of that is trying to juggle these three main characters plus all of the other stuff going on because it's not just their stories, but I mean, we've got a lot of other people trying to work their way into the movie as characters. I think that was the main weakness of this movie as well, that there was too much to juggle for trying to tell one cohesive story. And so then it ended up feeling a little weaker of an experience than I would have liked. But I, I still think that there were a lot of good things about it and definitely the, the twists in the end that I wasn't expecting. So I, I still think of it as a great movie. But um, yeah, I think that maybe they should have simplified the number of new characters and really focused more on the trio and had given David more to do because I mean it wasn't unless they explained later in the dialogue what happened with his wife that you really figure that out because just the scene of them in the kitchen doesn't really make sense you're like did and she just weird leave stunt him double. you're like what is, what is yeah. this yeah. this is not Robin Wright <laughs> <laughs> no, well uh, you know I think uh, I understand why they just kind of brushed over because David's thing because what is he been doing? It's like we under we've all seen all the superhero shows, all the superhero movies. He's got a guy in the chair, his son on the computer doing the the guy the earpiece for him. He's going around being a superhero. Like I don't know what more of that we could have really seen because we what what we because what I thought was really smart about this movie is like after split you're like oh my god we're gonna get to see the beast fight Unbreakable right and the, it's a mm-hmm. great match because they they complement each other. Uh, so well with their powers but we get that immediately like 15 minutes in we get yeah. their first little confrontation and then and then we get past that we're not waiting they don't build up the whole movie to it or something they give us a taste of what we want then they lock them all up in the jail and then we have a really cool I, I liked what they were trying to do obviously there were twists and turns but they kind of where they sit down and they psychoanalyze each of these guys and so it's like do you really think you're a superhero do you really think this do you really think that and then you're as the audience you're thinking well they're making some good points um, because, you know, this is still at the very end, right? We get the twist. Of, oh, it is a comic book world after all. But at this point, you're like, well, this is the real world. If this is the real world, maybe these people are just, you know, we, uh, we've seen some crazy stuff, but they really, especially with, uh, when they start talking about the beast where, where, you know, or, you know, whatever, right. Whatever personality you want to say, like watching mm-hmm. the rock climber and all these kinds of things, like they really address a lot of issues. Like it's like talking to Scully on the X-Files about something and <laughs> like having all these overly scientific, you're like, wow, I, I want to believe, but you're making some great points. So I, I like they went that approach. I understand why maybe that's not what people expected or wanted, but, but I think it's like the perfect way, especially the way this trilogy has been going. You know, it's hard, like we were saying, it's hard to find an identity of what this trilogy is. But to me, that's a natural way to get these three characters together and, and follow the story. Because what what is it without that? Like, oh, they're going to be fighting in the streets and beating each other up. And as we've seen in their confrontations, they really, it's a stalemate between the two of them, right? Because one is super strong, but one is also super strong. And, mm-hmm. there's, and th- there's really no clear victor. So that would get boring, you know, if they were just them fighting the whole movie. So I, I like the the kind of unexpected turn they took with the story. I agree. And and I think that it was brilliant too uh, in that moment. Maybe that's the theme of, you know, the whole thing that the psychiatrist was saying to them. Is it all in your head is anything that, 
you believe that you're capable of just in your head and not actually true. Um, you know, it's kind of a sad theme, I guess, but Mm. it, it's a nice way to turn everything on its head and see that, you know, it could possibly brainwash people into thinking that they're not really super. And I mean, you saw even Kevin start to doubt or Patricia rather. Mm -hmm. Um, And really it took Mr. Glass having to build him back up to believe in himself and the beast again. Yeah. Even, and even David, even David's son, right? Like, like he's at the, the YMCA or something. I don't know where he is, <laughs> but he sees those guys like working out and he's like, man, those guys are pretty strong. Just like my dad, maybe the doctor, maybe there's something to what they said. So even the characters and you as the viewers have, there's some seeds of doubt planted and that makes it more interesting. That would have been like, okay guys, here's three super villains and superheroes. Let's see where they go. Like the, th- that adds another layer of the story, uh, which, which, which really elevates what would have been more simple and boring. I think. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Cause you know, the, Unbreakable really is a classic origin story comic book superhero movie. You know, when you look at it, it has all the hallmarks of that and all the cliches of that. But the way that it's done, it it tricks you into not realizing that until you get to the end and you're like, oh, that's what we were doing the whole time. And, you know... this movie was interesting because the way that they deal with the doctor, uh, as I put her in air quotes, you know, Sarah Paulson's <laughs> character, she kind of felt like the way in which we have had a lot of movies kind of try to deconstruct, um, you know, comic book movies. But at the end, you really get the sense like she is the world in which superheroes wouldn't want to exist because where humanity won't accept them, you know, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, it's the, 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 the Batman V Superman thing with, with Superman, you know, will people accept him or will they reject him? You know? And here we see that she and her group, we don't even know what they're called. Um, but they are the, the, the Cloverfield group. Yeah, they know. are yeah, they <laughs> right. And they, uh, they, they, yeah, they, they look like they've got the, you know, the green clover tattoo, um, on their arm, the leprechauns, the leprechauns, the leprechauns. there you go. There it is. <laughs> um, yeah, new, they're going to do a new film series, leprechaun. Um, anyway, so, it, but you, you, you have them and they have been dedicated for thousands of years of taking out these people. and making sure that they either kind of follow this programming of realizing you're not super, even though you are, um, and, or they just take them out, um, to keep the, the playing field level, which I thought was, it was definitely interesting. It was a fascinating way to go to basically have the, they're not really necessarily an evil group, but they're not a good group. I mean, maybe they're like morally neutral. Possibly, they're, they're Section Thirty-One. Yeah, they are basically <laughs> Section Thirty-One. Ooh, or I just had an epiphany. What if the theme to all of these together is that point of nobody can be special because that's not fair? Ooh. 
I just came to that conclusion because that's a good point. I mean, that that basically it's that whole viewpoint of we give out awards for participation to everybody now rather than awarding people for excelling at something. So basically they're saying that their natural gifts are not real and that everyone needs to be on the level playing field. That is just throwing that really out there. Interesting. I like that actually. I think you have a really good point to say that we do we just live in a world that wouldn't accept exceptional beings because that's not fair because I can't be exceptional too the same way that you're exceptional. Like that we can't mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it it almost feels like in, in Incredibles does that a little bit too, you know, with like mm-hmm. well, you know, every if everybody's special, then nobody's special. No you, one is. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, that is a I mean, that's a really good thematic element that I had not seen before. And I, I feel like that that definitely changes things a little bit for me. That thought process that this whole thing is about keeping a quote unquote level playing field to make life fair when life isn't fair. So we are literally willing to either brainwash people into thinking they're not special or we're going to kill them. But either way, they're not allowed to exist because they might make somebody <laughs> feel bad about themselves. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that was... Uh, so about her and her group, I want to ask you guys, because I thought it was really interesting that we get there, but I also didn't feel like we knew enough about why they were doing what they were doing to make it really punch home. Yeah, it it did feel like a little when when you when you first saw like the beast get shot or Kevin get shot and he pulled back and see that gun with a tattoo. I'm like, all right, this is something. Now I don't know what it is. We've taken some twist, some turn, and right. they they reveal a little bit, you know. But but they never really. We have that one meeting like she's in right a flashback when David holds her hand, and then another meeting later. But but you're right. I I wish like. I know they were trying to, you know, Shyamalan style, right? Oh, we got another twist for you. But had they started to establish that a little earlier in the movie and kind of slowly build up to it, it did feel a little tacked on. And I felt like, eh, I don't know. that it, it doesn't, like, ruin the movie for me or anything. But I felt like it could have been better established. And like we're all saying, I, maybe this movie could have could have been longer. You know, had it been long, like, mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know. I don't want another three-hour movie or whatever, but maybe an extra 20, 30 minutes, you could have more David Dunn, you could have more of this organization and things that felt more balanced because by the time you're even up to speed on what was really going on the whole movie, it's over. Uh, it does work for me because Mr. Glass kind of turned their plan on itself with the cameras and all that. Like, that mm-hmm. kind of made the whole thing work for me. Had that not happened at the end, I, I would have felt really unfulfilled and disappointed by the re- by that revelation. But because it all kind of comes back to bite him in the end, that 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 works for me. Yeah, and I, I like that you don't expect anything with her originally mm-hmm. a- until that reveal of the the tattoos. Um, but I do agree that I, I wish they had fleshed that out a little bit more about, you know, maybe t- saying other people that they've taken out before or brainwashed into thinking they're, they're they going to tie in even more movies, more movies we didn't yeah. know were connected. You could have pictures of characters from all, all kinds of stuff. I don't, nothing's <laughs> coming to mind right now, but <laughs> well, they'd have to make them up, right? Because these weren't actual <laughs> comic book characters, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, and and something that you know they've been tying around this whole. I mean, and and obviously it came in Unbreakable where Elijah tells David that he believes that comic books are people's recollection of things that have actually happened you know and in this movie we get we got Casey back and she's at the comic book store and she challenges 
Dr. Staple by saying, you know when Superman came out, he couldn't actually fly. He could just jump really high. And so there's this idea of us talking about the fact that, you know, they've gone on. We've mythologized superheroes more and gave them more superpowers and all these things. But that the original kind of thing that they were based off of was something that you was in reality, you know. And so I and this is the thing when we came down to that point where we got to the reveal about Dr. Staple and her Section 31 Cloverfield group, uh, I felt like this movie has a lot of good ideas but the execution to bring those ideas together into a cohesive whole doesn't hold as much. It's it's a leaky boat. What I'm trying to say is that when I left the theater, I didn't feel fulfilled as if mm-hmm. there was a completed idea that I came away with. There's a lot of interesting things, but it didn't feel like a cohesive whole. I felt the same. Yeah, I, I I guess I would have felt the same. Like I said, I feel like the the uh, the Rorschach's journal ending of it all, right, with Mister Glass, like that. That's what it made me think of the ending with Watchmen, right, where it's like all this crazy stuff has happened, but no one's gonna know the truth. But Rorschach dropped that journal off, and now who knows what's gonna happen, right? That's the that that ending of Mister Glass revealing everything that happened to the world. That that kind of made it work for me. Although you're right, it didn't really necessarily emotionally. I felt fulfilled because of that. Right, because the mastermind, right? He's always one step ahead, and and, and uh, but you're right; it didn't necessarily tie together all the all the loose ends of the of the story. I don't, mm, I don't know. Like, like I would say, like, like as as a whole, like we're saying, like Unbreakable works complete, start to finish. Split works complete, start to finish. This, I guess, kind of works, but not as well because there's a lot of concepts here that aren't that aren't that aren't followed up and capped off. Because at least in the other two movies, although there was more potential for future stuff, everything felt kind of capped off. You know, like even, for example, you know, you brought up Casey. I didn't, I, you know, when they announced they were going to have, you know, Split 2 or Unbreakable 3, whatever you want to call it, at the time they said she was coming back. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't expect to see her again. And I almost, you know, I almost kind of liked where the, they left her in that moment in the car. We're like, oh, your uncle's here to get you. And there's that moment, and the cop looks at her, and she looks at the cop, and you're like, what's she going to do? Because mm-hmm. you kind of put yourself in that place. You're like, oh, what, what is she going to do? What would I do in that situation? You know? And it leaves you there. And that kind of that's the kind of stuff that like when you go home and talk to people about the movie, you're like, oh, man, what about this whole thing? Um, so that would have worked. If we never saw her again, I actually would have been fine with that. But, the, but they did bring her back in this one, and, and that is good to know. Like As soon as they said her foster family, and she's at this other place with these kids, I'm like, oh, thank God she got out of that. Mm-hmm. And... She reveals to Kevin, you know, that's why she feels this connection. She's like, because of her experience with with the with the beast and all that, she was able to empower herself and get out of that situation. And she never would have broken that cycle if not for her experiences and split. So, uh, so to, to me, those little things were fulfilling. Uh, so, so, so on a micro level, you know, like Mister Glass, like he knows he wasn't a mistake and he was right and he beat the bad guys. Like that stuff is fulfilling. But overall, like I, I don't, I wasn't really looking for a theme throughout all three. I guess the way. You guys might be so. I actually, you yeah. know, I, I really love this movie. I feel like I feel like I liked it more than y'all. <laughs> so <laughs> that's so okay. That it, like it, it, it worked for me. Like like when you tell, like it's. I didn't know I wanted this kind of movie to be the follow up to the last two, but once I got it, I was like, you know what? That's exactly what I needed. I like. I mean, so I I like you bringing up Casey because I thought it was very interesting to have her back as a character and i thought she actually had one of the strongest storylines in the sense that 
she is a character who's been through horrendous things. And she went through a very trying and awful experience with Kevin. And yet she doesn't blame Kevin for what he did to her. In fact, she feels sorry for him and empathy towards him. And she wants to help him in the end. I thought that was actually a really strong thing that it's her experience that allows her to want to reach out to him and try and give him what she's never, what he's never had before, which is the compassion that he needs to move past the need for these different personalities, especially the ones like the beast and especially even, um, you know, and I, I even liked that her interaction with him leads Dennis to being like, I never wanted this to happen. I only came about because I, I wanted to help Kevin. It turned into other things. And I thought that was a really strong thing because the small thematic element getting from Casey was that we need to have compassion for those who can't necessarily help themselves um, Mm -hmm. and remind ourselves that awful things happen to a lot of people and we need to put ourselves in other people's shoes and try to help them through that. And I just, I, I thought that that was a really beautiful thing to see her come into this movie to not be blaming the person who put her through hell and actually trying to, you know, I don't turn the other cheek basically and help him in a way that nobody has tried to help him before. And I thought that was, I mean, that's why I really appreciated her having back in this movie because I felt like she added a lot to the story that they were telling with Kevin. Um, and it really, that brought that part of the, the, you know, the trilogy I felt like to a nice conclusion at the end, you know, Kevin may die at the end, but he also, Kevin dies as Kevin not anybody else and and to be able to 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 go into eternity as himself and and not some alter ego that got created i thought was a really strong point for this movie and the fact that it's casey who helps him get there when she's mm-hmm. the last person that you would ever think would actually want to do that that's a really beautiful sentiment and that's what's so nice to this really such an emotional piece of this movie is that she sees that at his core, he's a child of abuse, just like her, and that she can maybe bring the real Kevin back out and help the rest of the world see the good in him, and that you shouldn't see him as a villain, that he developed all of this just to protect himself. And that's really ultimately what he's still doing, even though, you know, the the murders and things are happening, he thinks that he is doing the right thing. Um, and, and that's the sad part too, that he kind of shares that with Mr. Glass is that he thinks he's doing the right thing in trying to find himself by finding the other superheroes in the world by killing people. And it, you know, it's sad when you see his mom talking to the psychiatrist and saying, I don't condone what he did, but he's trying to find himself. And aren't we all just trying to do that? So I I see her point, but you're also like, yeah, but (laughs) he killed so many people trying to find himself. (laughs) There are are lots of little kernels of dialogue and they're like that. 
you know? Right. They, don't necess- they, kinda just, they kinda just hang out there and they don't necessarily like follow them up or but but you know, I'm cool with them just hanging out there. I am. So Yeah. <laughs> like what you said earlier, well, this has always been an origin story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good job. Well, and there there's a real there's a real sense to, you know, by bringing um you know, Elijah's mother back. I think that Miss Price was uh, an interesting character to have back because she is somebody who accepts her son for who he is, no matter what that is, and definitely gives him unconditional love, even though he's a mass murderer, right? You know, and, and, Mm -hmm. and gives him the acceptance that he's been trying to find himself, which is, it's very interesting. And that's what makes it a little bit messy. It's like, oh, it's great that he's trying to find himself, but he's also killing hundreds and hundreds of people in the process. You know, we, we call that, you know, a serial killer. Um, he just does it, you know, a lot at a time. And so it, 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 there's there's this real sense of unease for me then at the end of the movie where we kind of end with, you know, Joseph and Miss Price and Casey sitting there and they're united in releasing this footage to the world, and yet I can't figure out what they're trying to say by that, um, because this will lead to obviously other people like experiencing their own sense of like superheroism, you know, and and bringing out those talents and gifts in them, and you know, your theme earlier is that we can't have. This is why we can't have nice things, you know. We we got to keep everybody in a box, you know. Everybody has to be the same. But there's this other side of me. It's like, are we really trying to say throughout the this the end of this movie that we should all just live out our full potential regardless of whether it's good or evil? I don't know. And so it really leaves me at a conundrum of how I feel about the end of the movie when, you know, one of the major characters, you know, Elijah um we just don't ever really call him evil in the movie we just kind of well, Matthew who, who, who decides who's good and who's bad okay <laughs> <laughs> well I'm I, I think that if you cause the derailment of a train that kills hundreds of people and you've done that a few times in other places I feel like that's pretty evil <laughs> right no I know you're yeah, kidding it, it's hard to make wrong. him an anti-hero like he, the shades of gray are kind of gone as far as he's concerned you know but but you do feel sorry for him you know, especially like, like all after all the horrible things, even at the end when he falls out of his wheelchair, right, and he breaks his legs again, and the beast crushes his shoulder, like oh, oh, you know, you feel that, mm-hmm. and and just you know, and just like as a production thing, right? I thought it was genius to use a deleted scene from Unbreakable where he's the little kid uh, at the um, at the amusement park where he's getting all thrown around. Oh in yeah, and uh, and the thing like that that's great because it's the same actress that plays his mom. It was something that was gonna be in Unbreakable. Uh, but it wasn't. I'm like that. That is just really smart, you know. Uh, and that and that creates a little bit of sympathy for him and adds some context. Is this something like for for the Unbreakable characters? There wasn't a lot of context as as, as much as there was for Kevin, obviously. So uh, I I don't know. I don't I don't think it's cheating. I think it's smart to to just pull back scenes either that were or weren't in the movie of Unbreakable and put him in here to kind of make you 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 feel sorry for little Mister Glass, you know. Uh, doesn't justify anything, but you at least feel some empathy for him. Oh, yeah. I I definitely think that every time they've shown him in Unbreakable and in this movie, having a moment where he's injured, it hurts me. (laughs) 
Yeah. Because it, I didn't realize until Unbreakable that, uh, what is it called? Osteogenesis imperfecta is a real disease. So, I mean, that sounds terrible to me. I do still feel bad for him. So you're right. Uh, and it, and I also think it was smart for him to bring back deleted scenes from a previous movie because otherwise that footage just goes unused or it's special features anyway. So why not? But even though the guards, right, they were going to drop like a, uh, like it was terrible, right? When he was like, I'm going to drop this. Oh, the flashlight on, on, like, on his knee. Don't do it. You son of a, don't do it. You know, uh, they still didn't deserve to die, but still <laughs> you, yeah. you, that really, that makes you, you more catch okay your with the fact that the beats kills them later. Yes. Right. Well, and, and that was an really interesting moment, too, because you feel like that guard is somebody that is just evil. And yet what he's trying to do is trying to he's trying to figure out and he's never actually going to drop it on his legs. He's just trying to see if he's actually there. And of course, Mr. Glass is too smart for him to show that he's aware of anything happening. In fact, he's willing to basically have his legs broken, <laughs> possibly to not you know, be proven to be astute of what's going on around him to not be drugged. And yeah, it just, it, it's, it is really fascinating to me because the idea of superheroism and, you know, holding people back from, you know, being exceptional and the idea of, you know, what we will accept in society from exceptional people and the behavior that we would accept from them is really fascinating and it just, it, it was something that I wish that the movie had delved into more. Because, you know, Unbreakable gives us, I think, a very nice kind of like very black and white understanding of things. You know, Split breaks that wide open and pours all of these shades of gray onto things in a sense that it almost makes it just opaque. Like, I don't know what, I mean, there's no color, you know, there's no black mm -hmm. or white in this, that sense. And this movie, I feel like it does much the same thing. And I just, I struggle back and forth with what it is that I kind of like would, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I come away with. And I guess for, I guess this, for this type of movie, that bothers me just a little bit that I can't figure out what it's trying to get across. I would like to feel like I, I kind of understood it more. And I'd have to say, we didn't talk about them and the support characters, but I I don't know about you guys, but I really feel like David's son, Joseph, just gets the complete shaft in this movie. Like, he's got oh, yeah, nothing, he nothing by the end do. of this movie. And and I, I really felt badly for him. I mean, I guess maybe you get the slight sense that he and Casey might end up together one day. You know, there's like a little recognition like, hey. Yeah, I thought they might do that because they had that really weird shot of like when Casey goes to the principal's office and is like, look, his son went to the same school. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> what, is that, what is that And for, your point. Right? Yeah. So uh, you're right, though. I, I love they brought back the original actor. Again, these these are little things they didn't have to do, but they did, and that just ties it all together. And it's great, yeah. I'm sure that I mean, it's great to see that kid again. I haven't seen him since you know Unbreakable and Gladiator. <laughs> I'm sure mm -hmm. he's done stuff in between. Um, but you're right; it starts out where he's like, "Oh, him and his dad are doing the father son sidekick thing," and then once David gets put away, like they put away you know Joseph's storyline too. It seems so. And then even at the end, right, uh, Mister Glass gets to be with his mom right when he dies, and then Casey gets to be with the Kevin, but. Joseph is not going to be with his dad when he just gets, you know, drowned to death in a puddle, 
Right. If there's one right. thing I had a problem with, it was the way uh, David and like I, I wouldn't mind the way he died, but that he died, I minded the way that that he, I, I minded the way that he died, not that he died. That his son wasn't there, and he was face down in a puddle. Like that was that was questionable. Yeah, I think that it kind of doesn't do him justice after all that he's been through and, you know, the heroic nature of his character and Unbreakable and everything, then to have him go like that, it feels like mean-spirited. Like, the other two right. got, like, these heroic deaths even, and he gets drowned in a pothole. <laughs> yeah, the vil- the villains get to be surrounded by loved ones, right? So, yeah. I, I don't know. Is it trying to say something with that? Is the one hero gets the worst death? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. The point is, life's not fair. That's what he wants you to take away from <laughs> Life's not fair, and no one can have superpowers. <laughs> Sometimes you drown well. in a pothole. <laughs> Deal with it. Deal with it. Life comes at your fast. I absolutely agree with you, because I felt like, you know, Joseph and, and again, David kind of get the, the short end of the stick in this movie just by the storytelling of it. And I absolutely was frustrated by the fact that, you know... I, and I guess, you know, part of the problem is, I think, this. Shyamalan's trying to have comic book-ness, but then not have the full-on comic book-ness. Because he's like, oh, you know, because Mr. Glass keeps saying, oh, but this isn't a comic book. Even though it is a comic book, right? And so it's it's just frustrating because it's like, it's trying to walk this line between comic book and real life. And it's like you either need to embrace the comic booky nature of it or you just need to embrace the real life nature of it. And 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 I don't think he straddles it well enough because especially with David, it's like I'm watching the movie and I'm expecting David to overcome his greatest obstacle, you know? Yes, right. absolutely. I w- the whole movie I was waiting for that because they make such a big deal about the psychology and like, oh, it's all in your head. I'm like, oh, I know what's going to happen, right? It's going to be water, but he's going to find a way to overcome it and that's going to save the day. And I don't maybe that's too cliché, maybe that's why he didn't do it, but absolutely, Matt. I was waiting the whole movie for that to happen as well. Hey, you know how he overcomes it, Zach? He well, learns no, no. how to swim. <laughs> well, and even not a moment like where I, I wanted him to be able when he's getting his face shoved into the puddle, you know, and she comes over, you know that he's able to knock the guy off and at least, like you were saying, Christy, like have a moment with his son. The guy's about to die, and uh, it just felt mm-hmm. like we're doing it to do it because it's against convention. You know, we're going against the comic book convention now. But it it didn't feel like it necessarily served the character very well. And in the end, I just felt like David Dunn feels like a underutilized, underserved character by the story that we get. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, Mr. Glass and Kevin, I feel like we get a real good sense of a good ending for them because they do need to die, right? I mean, they're both very, regardless of it not being Kevin's fault that all these things have happened, he's caused a super amount of evil in his life. And so, mm-hmm. and he recognizes that, Kevin recognizes that, which I thought was kind of beautiful in the end. But David is just a guy who's been trying to do the right thing his whole life and totally get shafted. And is that the other theme of this movie? Like, yeah, you're going to try and be a good guy, but it's going to suck in the end. Right. Well, like, I mean, the movie is matters. called Glass. So I get why, you know, like this was his movie because, because you know, Bruce Willis had Unbreakable. That was his movie straight up. Kevin had split straight up. Kevin wasn't in Unbreakable and Mr. Glass and and, and the Overseer <laughs> were in, in Split. 
So I, I you know, I, I, I get it, and that, but I, I, I totally, I'm right there with y'all, y'all mentally. But to me, I guess it doesn't really bother me because like he had his moment in the sun, you know, and and now this is Mr. Glass's movie and his story. And he kind of takes over at the end. Although I, I would have wished just one little shot with him and his son, him and Joseph, would have would have gone a long way uh, to kind of smoothen that over at the end. I think. Yeah, but it was great though that Joseph at least got that moment of the big reveal. I like that he was the one that tells Kevin what happened. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Um, because you know they're they're all fighting and everything, and basically Kevin thinks that he and Mister Glass are fighting for the same team, and then learns that from Joseph and completely changes. Yeah, did that bother y'all? Like universe shrinking? Because to me, it didn't. To me, it was like, oh, it's all connected. That's what these movies are about. Yeah, like, no, I loved that. Right? I thought it was great. And then I know, like, I don't know if I read this online or whatever, right? But back, like, when Split happened and it was tied to Unbreakable, and there was a deal with like, oh, the Beast had to go to the train yard because his dad never came back. Maybe that was the train that David was on in Unbreakable, and and that was always kind of in the back of my head. I read. I'm not. This is what I get for reading too much stuff online. Right? It's all these fan <laughs> theories and comments. But then I was like, good, perfect. Like I, I'm sure a lot of people didn't like that because it was universe shrinking. But I thought in the context of what these movies are, that 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 enriched much much like it for you, Christy. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it, I, I think that helps. Um, I, and I didn't have a problem with that because honestly, I felt like it brought the three characters together in a way that you weren't necessarily expecting. But that it made it feel like, okay, yes, we we have all three of these and they do kind of create a, you know, loose trilogy together. Um, And the fact that then it would make sense for Mr. Glass to be so interested in Kevin because he feels like he's responsible for Kevin as well. Um, It just took longer for Kevin to, you know, maturate 19 years. So, (laughs) um, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that part actually really works. On top of that, I wanted so bringing this together as a trilogy, you know, kind of just thinking about it as that. How do you feel like this worked as an end for the, you know, the the train trilogy? Well, for me, I, I looked at I, I compared it to Watchmen. I do because Watchmen was like a deconstruction of superheroes, and a lot of your heroes have a bad end in that story, you know, and that's pretty much what happens here as well, you know. Uh, uh, but at but at the end of the day, you know the truth will have its day, right? And and the, the truth is revealed to the world through through Mr. Glass thinking it all through. So to me, I, I it is a very fitting in because I, I was thinking like again the movie subverts your expectation. Now it's like a that's like a hot topic phrase these days, right? But <laughs> you think oh here's the tower and they're gonna go fight in front of the world and he even he, it's so comic book movie, right? He's like we'll finish this in front of the world, right? The Beast says and they're gonna go run and finish their fight on the on the tower or whatever. And you're like, okay, I guess they're going to do that. But they don't do any of that. And I felt, I, honestly, I felt like had they gone that way, it would have been inappropriate for uh, this trilogy. Like the, the universe, this series it's set up, if, for it to turn into a generic superhero movie to close it all out uh, would have undercut and done a disservice to the kind of storytelling the last two films were. So I thought, even though it might have been a lot of people were expecting, I thought it was a perfect end to to the story and the approach and the deconstruction of comic book heroes that Shyamalan was going for with this trilogy and it, it, it despite some nitpicks here and there about the way certain things happen ultimately it did work for me. I like your viewpoint on it and and maybe made me feel a little more positively about it than I did coming into our discussion about it. Um, I do think in a sad way, of course, it had to come to an end and I didn't want it to and maybe that's what I struggle with. 
uh, because I, I had such high hopes for it starting out with Unbreakable and that that one I actually had seen back in the theater in 2000 when it came out. And I still remember it being so shocking and different. Um, and I think that it this um, ending, it, like I said, kind of had to happen um, because where are they going to go from there? But it still made me sad that all three of our, you know, key characters had to die. And so I guess that was what bothered me the most, um, other than feeling like it, he was Shyamalan, maybe trying to throw too many things into one story, and then they're all conflicting with each other, to where all three of us are struggling to figure out what theme you could take away from this or from the three as a whole. But it does, like you're saying, Zach, nicely cap off at least where the other two had left off. And I, I did want to see how they were going to combine those two into one universe because they were so different. You know, one is about a guy with DID and another is a, like a classic superhero story. So you're going, well, one is really grounded and one is really otherworldly. How would those have anything in common? Um, but I mean, they found a way. And, and I think tying together that with the train scenes from the original movie made it even better rather than it just being a, a world shrinking, like you said, it, that it it gives more gravity to what's going on. So I I still liked it for the most part, felt like it fit, but um, was a, a still a little disappointed in the way things were executed. You know, it's funny, Zach, you, you said Watchmen, and it blew my mind because I hadn't thought about that <laughs> until you said it. And the moment you said that, I was like, oh, that's why I don't love this movie. Is because I've already seen it done, <laughs> but way better. Um, in Zack Snyder's director's cut of Watchmen, which is fantastic, and just the fact of reading Watchmen the comic, and it's like, yeah, we've seen this story. So I, I think you saying that made me realize how unoriginal this really is, and oh, that no. bothers me <laughs> big time because it's like, no, this he had it so he was able to find the originality in Unbreakable. He was able to continue that on and split and do something that just totally off the wall and different. And then he ends with this, which is not original. It's just not, you know, bringing it all together. He, he just used somebody else's ending, which was way better. Um, yeah. So uh, as an end of the trilogy, I think it's to me, the more I, and, and this is the other thing I was thinking about this. I've been trying to find some semblance of an, I, what I thought about this film. And I realized this, I really haven't thought about this movie since I saw it. And that's the bad, that's a bad mm. thing. If I'm not thinking about a movie a lot after I've seen it, that's a problem. Um, whereas strangely enough, I went and saw the kid who would be King uh, and I hadn't stopped thinking about it for all night and today, um, which totally unexpected, you know. So to me, that's that's uh, like to to have this as the end of the trilogy was was a letdown because I just, you know, I came away from Unbreakable with it's such a high, like it's such a good movie and especially rewatching it, how it holds up Um I don't love Split, but I really appreciate the 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 acting and, and what he's trying to do there and how interesting it is. And, you know, it's just not a movie I would love to watch a lot just because of the subject matter of abuse and all that stuff. Um, but this one, I'm like, okay, it, it's there. 
Um, you know, uh, I feel like I don't know. Yeah, it just kind of feels like well, uh, cracked glass. Well, let me uh, <laughs> let me let me ask both of you guys this. Uh, you know, for Unbreakable. Like one of the things to me, which was always like a missing piece of Unbreakable, and and as we came to learn. It wasn't. It was going to be part of the movie, but Shyamalan didn't include it. Was like a a true like opponent, right? For for David Dunn, like a physical opponent, right? Because if because if if Mister Glass is like the Lex Luthor and Bruce Willis is the Superman, David Dunn, then you know the Beast is like a Doomsday or a Zod or something, you know, that to, to speak in comic book terms, right? So mm-hmm. I, I I feel like you know if that. Not not that it like you know not that I felt like oh it would have been so much better if he had a big fight with somebody because that's not what Unbreakable was about but you know it kind of did fulfill that need or something that like when you set up the super powerful character in the first movie you want to you want to see him fight somebody on his level so to speak and and if there was one missing piece of Unbreakable you know I feel like this answered that for for me anyway so I I was I was satisfied because I was very excited I really love both those movies and I I had high expectations for this movie and it met those expectations because high expectations are two-edged sword right it's like it's like oh my god I'm gonna love it no matter what and you do or you know and I don't think that's what I'm doing (laughs) but the other one is oh my god I'm so excited and they're like oh that's not the movie I had in my head and I didn't I didn't like it so there's so much of that going on in fandom right but I don't know. To me, it like like I said, like the, it answered it filled in some missing pieces from the other two movies that I would have wanted to see, and tied tied it in a bow for me. Well, that I mean, that's a great segue into what are what do we want to rate this? Where do you guys come down on glass? I'd like to hear what Zach says. <laughs> you know, I I would um I would rank this uh, twenty three out of twenty four DID personalities. I I really did. Oh, nice. Uh, love this movie like i like i like i said earlier like i i didn't know what i wanted from this sequel because this this is such an unprecedented trilogy right there's no there's no like blueprint for how something like this is going to go with these two radically different movies and he put these characters together and and of the two you know i i i understand why it's more of a split sequel than an unbreakable sequel uh, so intellectually, I'm like, eh, that's why it doesn't get the full 24, doesn't get the beast, but it gets all the other personalities for me, right? <laughs> if I'm for rating wise, <laughs> because uh, it, it really did something, something smart. Like I, I really did like how it took this left turn. I'm like, we're all gonna sit down in this institution and we're gonna psychoanalyze all you and you're if you think you really think you're superheroes or not. Like literally do that on screen and like like all these stories, like you said, Matt, it is it is Watchmen esque and uh, but but they're they're all remixes of each other, you know. So I don't necessarily mind that per se. And I really could, you know, I couldn't think other than like maybe a better ending for David and his son because, you know, they're the true heroes of it all. And Casey, you know, um, that's the thing I would change. But really, I can't think in my head of like something else I would have liked better than this ending. So it feel, to me, it feels like a perfect ending to what had been set up in the last two movies. I agree with that for sure. Um, as far as wanting a better ending for David and his son. Um, and I, I, I was definitely the one though that came into it really pumped and wanting to see what they were going to do and then did feel a little bit of a letdown. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Um, it, I think that the, the things I would have done better if I had been making this movie was that. And then also, um, maybe I wouldn't have had this watchdog group with the clover tattoos and and maybe left it more to the psychiatrist is on her own mission to figure out if these people are really super or not and prove them wrong um, for her own reasons. Um, 
and, and I felt like it too was not overall having a strong theme like we all were saying as far as what the the moral of the story is or anything if they're even is one but it it felt a little like at the end of the day because they all die and and everything that the the story is life is not fair and that's it <laughs> and and it's over um so i i came out of it a little bit sad but i still liked most of it i'd say 75% and didn't see the twists coming at all so i thought that really redeemed a lot for me um so i, I feel like for me um it, i i'll do out of 10 um probably like a 6 out of 10 so i still give it fairly high but take off a little bit for those things that i would have changed if I could just interject with one thing you brought up, yeah. I, I, Christy, uh, because there was that you know, watchdog group, right? Uh, I feel I, again, I feel like you could have taken that out, like you said, just the doctor on her own. But mm-hmm. for the victory at the end for Mister Glass to have outthought this 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 centuries old, millennia old organization, right? That's mm-hmm. what makes his victory so powerful to me. Because if it were just one crazy doctor, it's like ah, I proved her wrong. It's like okay, that's cool, I right. guess. But he, he, you know, big deal. But he outsmarted, like you know, he was able to expose this millennial old organization, this Illuminati esque organization, right? Mm-hmm. And so to me, that 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 makes the ending work better because you're like, because you guys were saying, we all were saying, you're like, what is what's going to happen with these videos being released? I think that's the point. This one guy with you know with his dreams could undercut these guys, uh, and 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 not and they all. Not to say they all didn't die in vain, because they, I mean, I guess they kind of did, but but mm-hmm. but, th- but that's what does it for me. That that kind of justifies the the random dark organization they threw in at the last at the last minute. I do like that point though that it doesn't take muscle; it could just take your mind to take down something that big. That's a good point. I think for me, I come down to this being three out of five focusing lenses. The other two are crack. <laughs> Um, I also thought of that. And <laughs> crack like glass. Yeah, yeah. Um, be, and and it, it's just what we said before. I, I think this movie had a lot of interesting ideas, but I don't think that it was able to pull them together in a way that it was as cohesive as I would have liked. Um, and I think that's the, the frustrating part. And I think, you know, honestly, I think that's actually one of uh, Shyamalan's problems is he can't he always has grandiose ideas he has delusions of grandeur but he can't necessarily (laughs) bring the grandeur to life the way that you it needs to be brought to life sometimes he can and i think he did that with say like unbreakable um i just don't feel like he's able to completely bring that here and part of that you know as we mentioned you know kind of having this section clover one group i feel like um which i realize section 31 could actually just be the clover because it's in a three-leaf clover so perfect yeah. nice. um but yeah so having that that there without it being kind of fully invested in what what that is it just it feels like it kind of felt like more like an afterthought than it was like oh i need something for like you were saying zach i need mr glass to get his you know one up of something but it it doesn't feel I don't feel as fulfilled by it because I only have a vague understanding of what it is. So yeah, I mean, again, it's a movie that just it has some some good stuff in it, but especially as bringing the trilogy home, I just I didn't I didn't come out of the theater feeling like oh my gosh that was a great end. Whereas you know I think like the Dark Knight Rises, I came out and be like I love this movie, it's the best ever. You know. 
So, and that's that's kind of what you want when you come to the end of the trilogy. You know, even if I don't absolutely 100% love the, you know, Re- Return of the Jedi, I still felt that feeling of, like, being fulfilled at the end of it. So, um, yeah, maybe this movie just needs more Ewoks, so... Um, no, that's, that's the answer. <laughs> it's always the answer. <laughs> Just throw in some Ewoks. That'll save the day. Exactly. Well, uh, Zach, thank you, you know, so much for, for joining us here on the 602 Club. And since it's your first time and as we give everyone the opportunity, man, let everybody know where they can find you. If they have never heard you for before for some reason, if they haven't, I don't know why, uh, and where they can catch up with you online. Well, great. Well, first of all, guys, thanks for having me on. This is a lot of fun. I, I hope, hopefully, this uh, this uh, coupon I have gets me in again uh, at some point. <laughs> of course, every, every six months or so, I can I can swing in here. But uh, but yeah, no, it was a lot of fun uh, to talk about some non Star Trek stuff on the Star Trek Network. We're all part of which you can find me every week talking the original series, Captain Kirk, all things in the Enterprise, uh, old and new, on our original series show, Standard Orbit which drops here on Trek FM. I'm a host there with Ken Tripp and Haley Stoddard. Uh, I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always One in the Smallville, where we talk about that young Superman show from the 2000s. Somebody save <laughs> There you go. There it is. Ooh, uh, Tom so, Welling. Yes, we talk about every uh, episode of Smallville. We're doing that over there. You can find us on Twitter at Always Smallville with one S. Because when I made that Twitter handle, uh, there was a character limit. So <laughs> there still is. So all... We can't get a. We could not get all of aggressive negotiations in either. So yeah. <laughs> so now, so for that very reason, on uh, Facebook, email, and Twitter, it's always Marvel with one S for that very reason. So thanks, Twitter. Uh, and then finally, you can find me personally on Twitter at Moron Zach. That's M O O R E O N Z A C H. I talk about Star Trek, superheroes, baseball, all kinds of stuff. So look forward to talking to you on Twitter over there. Of course, Christy. Um, it's it's great to have you back. You know, Michael was nice, but he's no Christy. So, um, but oh, tell you. everybody where they can catch up with you if they want to talk about Glass or uh, anything else that we've been doing in the 602 Club recently. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter uh, if you want to talk through any of the movies we've been talking about, um, as well as the previous James Bond movies Matt and John and I went through and uh, Mission Impossible. Um, I'll be on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Bespin Bell and uh, also sometimes appear on the Star Wars Report as well. Um, but uh, you can mostly find me here now every week unless we have a special extra special guest. And then I might let them take my seat. (laughs) Not to say Zach's not extra special. I was like, well, I guess I wasn't special enough. That's fine. (laughs) No, no. You got the number one seat and we are secondary to you. There we go. I'm in the light now. (laughs) Ooh, the light. Like the Young Justice light. (laughs) he's gotten into that lately i'm a little bit worried yeah okay um i could go down a whole road since i've been getting into that show but you can find me on uh, twitter instagram letterboxd and tumblr under the name matt rushing zero two i am here on the network doing the star trek deep space nine podcast with chris jones we have dropped a new episode there uh so make sure you check that out you can also find me on the Nerd Party Network, uh, talking about a few different sh- things. One is Harry Potter each and every week with Drea Kaufman on Owlpost. We're walking through this series one chapter at a time. You can also find me on the aforementioned Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills, talking about Star Wars each and every week. And then last but not least, we're back for the new year. My co-host Courtney and I talking about films through the lens of faith on Cinema Stories. 
But thank you so much for joining us. And as always, y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you.